0: Thank you, Pastor Danny. And thank you, worship team, for leading us to the um, throne of God. Um, every once in a while, you should say thank you to our worship teams. There are, um, there are, I don't know, something like 17 people on that ministry team, and they're doing stuff in the back that you can't see and stuff up front. Every once in a while, just um, express your gratitude for how they lead us um, into the presence of God each week. So good morning, as Pastor Danny said, I am Pastor Bill, and I actually want to add my welcome to all of you here in the auditorium, to those who are participating on our live stream, and to those of you who are participating sometime later in this worship service. If you're new to Cornerstone, I hope that you are going to see, as the theme of this sermon series, I hope that you see that we are trying to grow in God's grace, to praise God's marvelous grace more than ever before, to receive the riches of God's grace more than ever before, and as a topic of today's message, to steward God's grace to each other and to the world more than ever before. As Pastor Danny said, this is the final sermon in this series on the grace of our God. And we've seen that our God is a grace-saturated God. And we've seen that God's grace is sufficient for us because when we receive God's grace, God's power is released for us. We're taught in this world that, that our sufficiency is our strength. Christianity teaches us that when we are weak, we are strong because when we are weak, God's power shows up precisely in those places and makes us strong. And so today we're going to to dive into what it means now to steward God's grace. What can we do to live grace-saturated lives that reflect our grace-saturated God? And the order is actually important. There's an order of operations here. First, we see and praise God for his glorious grace. That's where we need to start. Then secondly, we need to receive God's glorious grace so that thirdly, because we've received his grace, we can then steward and give his grace to others. So often when we have grace deficits in our life, it's because the first two are missing. Either we don't see and praise God's glorious grace or we've not received it fully for ourselves. But when we do those first two, it gives us an opportunity to then extend God's grace to one another and to extend God's grace in our world. So, today we're going to look at two themes in the message of stewarding God's grace that match up with with what we see in the New Testament. First, we're going to see what it takes, and we're going to actually try to dissect What happens for us to become grace-saturated? And then we're gonna explore a very, very practical way that God gives every follower of Jesus Christ a practical way for us to steward God's grace every day for the rest of our lives. And then we're gonna close with communion as an opportunity for us to personally talk with Jesus about grace in our lives. So first, let's explore what it takes to become grace-saturated people. Um, As in the last two weeks, you received a three-by-five card when you came into the auditorium. If you don't have a card, raise your hand, and they will run around and give you cards. This is the last time we're doing this. It was just a theme through this series, so keep your hands up high. And thank you to Welcome Team for sending those around. As with the last two weeks, I want to ask a question for you that only you are going to see the results. This is just going to be between you and God. Nobody else needs to know. So in order to keep this message very real about becoming grace-saturated people, about growing in grace, um, I would like you to take a moment and write on your three-by-five card the initials of some people that you're actually not okay with. Write down, maybe they're going to be people who have disappointed you Maybe it's people with whom you are angry, or against whom maybe you have some bitterness. Maybe it's people that you've gossiped about, and there's a reason for that. Maybe it's people that have hurt you. Now, just the initials, nobody else needs this. This is going to be between you and God, but take a moment and write down two or three names of people that you're not okay with in your life. Be as honest as you can, because this is what's going to make stewarding God's grace very, very real for us. All right, two or three or whatever number of names or initials that you write down. And then once you've done that, add like one or two other initials of people, people that you're actually, you are okay with, but you would really, really, really like to learn how to give them more grace. To bless them with more grace. So, where did all this come from? Well, over the last month as I've been immersing in what the scriptures teach about God's grace. And then just, just observing God's rich grace. Just moment by moment, day by day. Over the last month I've just been immersing in this and reflecting on it. And it has made me want to be more grace saturated. I want to be a more grace filled Christian a more grace-filled follower of Jesus Christ and so I said God help me please father let me help me grow in grace and um, so what God did is he sent me people that annoy me and people he made me aware of people that I get frustrated with and people with whom I want to withhold grace which is just like God isn't it we say, God, help me grow in patience. And then he sends us people that stretch us. so that Because that's his perfect way for us to grow the spiritual fruit of patience. Or we say, help me grow in gentleness. And all of a sudden we realize all these people in our life that we just really want to smack. Or we say, help us grow our love. And he sends us people that are hard to love. Because that's his perfect way to grow the spiritual fruit of love in us. So... I said to God at first, please let me grow in grace, not with the difficult people. I don't need difficult people. Don't make me have difficult people to grow in grace. And God showed me bit by bit that the difficult people in my life are the best teachers I have to grow in God's grace. And so actually, really, it's taken a month or six weeks of—I actually now— Am praising and thanking God for difficult people in my life because they're my best teachers for me to become more grace saturated. So let's go through a few scriptures to anchor us in stewarding God's grace. Um, probably the most practical scriptures for for stewarding God's grace for us are what are called the one anothers of the New Testament. Fifty-nine times in the New Testament, we come across this phrase, one another. And they teach us how we're supposed to respond to one another. And they're the most practical lesson plan we have for how to steward God's grace. And so let me just share, you know, a number of them with you. The most prevalent one, no surprise, is love one another. And 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all else, keep on loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. When we have grace deficits in our life towards people, it's really a love deficit. If we are withholding grace, it's because we're not loving earnestly. So keeping on loving people earnestly is one of the best pathways to grow in grace. Be devoted to one another. That's Romans 12. Honor one another, and this is what Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. God's school of grace Teaches us to consider those difficult people in our lives as more important than we consider ourselves. Build up one another, accept one another. Lack of acceptance is a sure sign of a grace deficit. Forgive one another. Grace forgives the people in our life that have hurt us or wounded us or crossed us. Grace forgives them not because they deserve it, not because they asked for it in the right way, but grace forgives the people who have wounded us or hurt us or sinned against us in our lives because we know that Jesus fully forgives us before we deserve it. And so his overflowing grace in us then forgives others even when they don't deserve it. Be patient with one another. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Be patient. Patience is an expression of grace. Be kind and compassionate with one another. Ephesians 4, bear with one another. And this is especially when we're disappointed in each other. And this last one, stop passing judgment on one another. This is Romans 14, verse 3. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before their own master that they stand or fall. And they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So a few years ago, I was talking with somebody who was here at Cornerstone, who was really, really disappointed in another person here at Cornerstone, and the disappointment was real, and it was kind of intense, but her conclusion wasn't to dismiss or diss the other person. What she actually said to me is she said, I figured out that that's just not what that person is good for. That's a grace statement. And I found myself saying that to myself when I've been disappointing people over the last few years, is that's just not what they're good for. They're probably good for other things. It's just not that. Because they weren't created to meet my expectations. God is their master. So I entrust them to God as their master. So with these one another's kind of rolling around in my head and these kind of difficult people um, swirling around in my head, I've been able to reflect on the nitty-grittiness of trying to grow in grace. And here's some of my observations over the last few weeks. I've realized that the right posture is not for me to ask God to help other people have more grace. The right posture isn't say, God fix them. The right posture is for me to say, God, let me have more grace, fix me. I've also noticed that to give more grace, I actually have to do some of the hard work of my messy junk inside of me. And what I realize is that I don't extend grace when I'm triggered. When I'm, um, when I'm blaming other people. I don't extend grace when I'm afraid, when I'm insecure, or when I have ego needs that are just kind of yelling at me. So I've realized that I need to um, step back and notice when I'm triggered so that I don't automatically blame others but own it for myself. So recently, my spiritual director has encouraged me. He said, where in your body do you get constricted when you are feeling threatened or when you're, you're getting triggered? And for me, it's right here, right here in my chest. Other people, it's in their neck, shoulders, stomachs, whatever, but for me, it's right here. And my spiritual director said, perfect. Now pay attention to that body signal. And he says, and when that body signal um, starts to give you a message, It means that you're feeling some kind of stress or emotional danger. He says, listen to your body and ask the question, where might God be in this? Where might God be in this? Asking that question enables me to find space for grace towards the people who may happen to trip my triggers. And as Pete Scazzaro says in the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, we all have our triggers, okay? We all have our unresolved stuff. But our triggers are ours. Our triggers are not other... We hope that other people will be gentle with our triggers, but our triggers are things that we have to own, Own, and I've realized to grow in grace, I actually have to own my triggers and try to do some of that work. I've also kind of noticed that I can actually be okay with messiness in me. That was a lot the message last week, our weaknesses, right? I can be okay with messiness in me and in messiness in others, And in messiness between me and others. I won't get things right all the time. And neither will other people. Knowing that it's normal to mess up, read through the New Testament. And it's not this picture of all these saints that always treat each other perfectly right and everything's wonderful. New Testament shows that it's normal for there to be messiness. And it's in those places of messiness that the Holy Spirit frequently shows up. It's in those weaknesses that we can become strong. And, um, and then when I own that it's okay for that to happen, I don't have to hold it against other people when, when I run across their messiness. And I can own my own and do more of the, sp- the spiritual and relational work of cleaning up when my junk has messed up other people. I've also noticed that everyone's not supposed to see things the way i see them. Giving space to have people be different means that we can disagree and we can even disagree in intense ways. That's okay as well because God's made us different intentionally and by honoring other people I give them the grace to see things in ways that I might disagree without having to beat them down or fix them. (coughs) I've noticed too that I need to open my eyes I need to to pay attention to all the people that I come across to try to pay attention to where they may need some expression of grace in their day, which means that I can't always be on my agenda, I can't always be busy, I have to find energy to look for the grace that others need, and if I don't do that, I'm not going to grow in grace. And that's not just the difficult people, that's everyone that God sends across my pathway. A couple more. I've noticed that every day God gives me opportunities to extend blessing and favors to others. It might be a smile, it might be a word of affirmation, it may be a question, a sincere question of how are you doing? Every day God gives me opportunities. And I didn't see those before I started focusing on the riches of God's grace. And then I started feeling God's grace towards me. Um, and as I said, The hardest people in my life are the ones that give me the most opportunity to extend grace. And then lastly here, I've noticed again, and I I kind of hadn't paid attention to this for a few years, I've noticed again that my expectations, if I don't manage my expectations of people, my expectations become premeditated resentments. I expect something, I don't get it, I resent that person. And so I've been reminded again to manage my own expectations. Again, people aren't created to meet my expectations. They're created to meet the Lord's expectations. And if I don't manage my expectations with grace, then very often it can turn to bitterness towards people. So these are just a few of the things that I've been noticing. I hope that in your small groups this week, or maybe with a spiritual friend here at Cornerstone, that you will share some things that you are noticing as a group, so that together we can grow in grace. It's not just individual, but as a community, we can learn how to grow in grace together so that each one of us becomes more grace-saturated. Because the reality is that we've all been kind of broken over the last few years in some way. It's been hard on most of us, probably all of us, which means we've all probably been grace deficient in some ways over the last few years. Almost surely. Almost surely, we've all also needed or required more grace from other people. And that, that's actually okay. That's how we grow. But this is a perfect time. It's a God-ordained time, I think, for Cornerstone, for me, I suspect for the church in our culture, I think this is a God-ordained time for us to grow in grace, to grow in praising God's grace, to grow in receiving God's grace, and to grow in extending God's grace. It doesn't take any work at all to imagine a grace-deficient community. We see those all the time. We saw it in the elections this last week. We see it in many churches that are grace-deficient We see it in our polarized culture. But just imagine, imagine the depth, imagine the riches of a grace-saturated community where you're not accepted because you, you meet people's expectations and you do things the right way, but where you are accepted because you are created in the image of God and you are therefore of inestimable value. And that part settled And now we grow. Imagine that kind of community. That's the kind of community I want to contribute to. That's the kind of community I want to be part of. And imagine the testimony to the world of a group of people who are grace-saturated towards one another and towards others who may not agree with them. All right. before we come to communion, let me share with you, I think, one of the most practical down-to-earth ways Christianity teaches us to steward god's grace and this applies for the rest of your life take out your three by five card again flip it over to the other side and now i want you to write on your three by five card at least three of your spiritual gifts write your spiritual gifts on the card if you've taken the gifts and calling class here at Cornerstone, hopefully you remember them. If you took the class and you don't remember your gifts, it's, you're not stewarding them very well. Okay. So um, if, you've, if you've not taken the Cornerstone class, perhaps you've taken another gifts assessment at some point in your Christian life. Um, so write down two or three of your spiritual gifts. If you actually have no idea of your spiritual gifts... Um, then it is time for you to learn about spiritual gifts. You can email me at bill at cornerstoneboston.org. I'll send you the spiritual gifts, gifts questionnaire we use here at Cornerstone. And, um, and you can take it and start to get an idea of your spiritual gifts. I can't emphasize this enough, um, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12.1, he says, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Okay, just that blunt, don't be And I can't emphasize enough how important it is for you to start to discover your spiritual gifts. Why on earth would I bring up spiritual gifts in a sermon about stewarding God's grace? Because of this. The Greek word for spiritual gift is actually a compound word that has two words that are grace gift charis is the greek word for grace the word that we've been basing these three messages about everything you hear about god's grace in the scriptures the greek word is charis the greek word for spiritual gift is mata. your spiritual gifts are grace gifts given to you by the holy spirit so that you can receive obviously god's gift but more so so that you can express God's grace to everyone else in your life. It turns out that God is so grace-saturated that when we come to Jesus, he gives each and every one of us, one or two or three, kind of facets of his grace so that the world can see what God's grace looks like so they can experience it, so that we have the joy of stewarding and giving others some of the glorious riches of the grace of God. God wants us to steward his glorious grace so much. He's so grace-saturated that he has made every one of us extremely competent in some areas to express his grace to the world. So let me go over just very basically, if you haven't ever looked at spiritual gifts, here's the working definition we have for spiritual gifts here at Cornerstone. And, um, And we go over it phrase by phrase in the class together. Um, and it's, it's developed by the same people who created the questionnaire that we use here at Cornerstone. And here's the definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit, distributed to every believer. I say this in the class, if you really want, really want to annoy me, take the class from me, and then afterwards at some point say, I don't think I really have any spiritual gifts. And then I'll just smack you, okay? And then I'll try to give you more grace right after I smack you. (laughs) To every believer, spiritual gifts, special abilities, given by the Holy Spirit, distributed to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good. Every spiritual gift that you wrote down in your card, and if you don't know what they are, when you discover them, Every gift is an expression of some aspect of the riches of God's grace. Which is why spiritual gifts it's so important for every follower of Jesus to discover, deploy, develop and delight in your spiritual gifts because that's how God's trying to touch each of us and the world with the riches of his grace. So just two scriptures here. Ephesians 2:10. 10. After um, reading in Ephesians 2 8 and 9 that it is by grace that we are saved through faith and not from ourselves. Ephesians 2:10 immediately says for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Brothers and sisters by grace you have been saved. And you are God's workmanship before you even came into existence. In the class I say that, that, that one of the truths that we need to realize as Christians is that our essence preceded our existence. Before you even came into existence, God was thinking to himself, there's going to be a certain point in time when I'm going to need a certain person, a specific unique person with these kinds of background experiences and these kinds of perspectives on life, these kinds of wounds, these kinds of of strengths. I'm going to need them and I'm I'm going to need them to do very specific things. So when I create them, I'm going to give them these specific spiritual gifts. And there came a point in time when God created you to be that person that he has created for you to be. We are God's workmanship. And by the way, the most joyful Christians I ever meet are the ones that know that they are God's workmanship and they are stewarding their spiritual gifts for the common good. And then the second verse is 1 Peter 4.10. And probably this whole section could just be on this verse. Each of you should use whatever gift, charismata, whatever grace gift, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Our spiritual gifts are assignments from God and their capacities from God. Our spiritual gifts are given to us so that. We can express the riches of God's grace in its various forms. So, yes, figure out your Myers-Briggs, which, by the way, the Myers-Briggs is based on the New Testament theology of spiritual gifts, created by a mother-daughter Christian mother-daughter team. Yeah, figure out your Myers-Briggs, figure out your Enneagram, because you were knit together. God was made you on purpose the way He made you. But figure out your spiritual gifts, because. This is your direct assignment from God, and this is your greatest joy to express the amazing grace of God in your life and in our world. Let's not frustrate and block the grace of God by ignoring our spiritual gifts. Let's commit or recommit to discover, deploy, develop, and delight in our spiritual gifts.